All right, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of The Money Barrel. This week, Kayla got the chance to sit down with Danny Ray. Danny Ray is the man behind the famous VF brand of Victory Farms. We are used to seeing his horses in the winner's circle, but hearing straight from him how he got into the barrel racing breeding business was an opportunity we could not pass up. From his first horse purchase of On the Money Red and Designer Red to his upcoming plans that have revived his love for the sport, this was a great conversation full of stories from a leader in our industry for over 25 years. But first, a message from our partners at Farnham, the makers of Horseshoe Secret Hoof Supplements, supplying vital nutritional support for a solid foundation. Every horse owner has heard the expression, no hoof, no horse. For horses with hoof challenges, a hoof supplement is a good option to help keep your horse's hooves healthy and prolong his life and riding career. Encourage healthy hoof growth with Horseshoe Secret Pelleted Hoof Supplement. Nutrient-rich formula contains beneficial ingredients including biotin, key amino acids lysine and methionine, copper and zinc to maintain hoof walls and support cracked hooves. Feed less and get the same great results as the original with Horseshoe Secret Pelleted Hoof Supplement Concentrate. This economical formula is packed with key nutrients plus 25 milligrams of biotin per 2-ounce serving. Horseshoe Secret Extra Strength Hoof and Connective Tissue Supplement delivers optimum nutrition for strong, healthy hooves, tendons, and ligaments. Easy to feed nuggets promote proper digestion to help grow tough, flexible hooves and support hoof hydration and moisture retention. Ideal for horses needing support due to genetic predispositions, environmental conditions, and rigorous performance demands. No matter what type of hoof challenges your horse faces, Horseshoe Secrets has a solution for you. I'm really excited for this conversation. It took me a little bit to get them nailed down, but today we get to talk with Danny Ray the owner of Victory Farms, and I'm just thankful that you took some time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Well, thank you very much. Yes, we, I have quite a schedule, but it's my pleasure and honor to be able to speak with you and to be able to share some of the history of Victory Farms. You know, the podcast, our whole goal is just to highlight everybody in the industry, not just the jockeys, um, you know, everybody that makes it work. And the breeders, I feel, I mean, they, they are the reason we have the industry we have. And Victory Farms has just such a history. I mean, I don't, I don't even know the full history, but I know you have had countless uh, stallions that have produced, you know, millions of dollars worth of winners. Um, so why don't we just kind of dive in and, and let's tell the story of Victory Farms. Okay, well, I started originally, I bought the old original Browning Ranch in Ada, Oklahoma. Uh, that ranch had been the home to the old man, Jet Smooth, Quarter History, Easily Smash. So it was an iconic ranch when I bought it. Um, so then I was in the exotic animal business, like the emus and the boar goats and the hedgehogs and all those things. And that market kind of went south, if you will. And a buddy of mine said, Daddy Ray, why don't you get in the barrel horses? I said, no, that's what this ranch had horses and they didn't, they didn't fare well at the end. And I don't need to do that. He says, no, said nobody's breathing specifically barrel horses. So I researched and looked, and uh, there was two world champion studs at the time. One of them was Jet of Honor, and one of them was on the Money Red. Well, Jet of Honor stood over at Mr. Dan Daly's house less than 30 miles from me. 
So I drove over to Mr. Daly's and I told him I come to buy your stud. He said, well, I didn't know it was for sale. I said, sir, everything's for sale for a price. He looked at me and said, well, you're right. (laughs) So in about 30 minutes, I had made a deal, but I was fixing to go on an elk hunt in Colorado. So I made a deal with Mr. Daly. I said, I'm going elk hunting. I don't want to do the deal on the stud and me be gone for the next week or 10 days and at a strange farm. When I get home, I'll come over. We'll close the deal. I'll pay you. No problem. And he agreed to that. In that very short time while I was hunting in Colorado, Jet of Honor died. Oh, my gosh. That was terrible, you know. But it happened. So then the only other world champion stud at the time was on the money red. Well, Miss Marilyn Clark owned him. She was quite elusive to get a hold of. I finally had to mail her a letter in the mail to get response. And she did respond. Well, next thing you know, uh, I flew to Florida, Ocala, Florida rented a car, and I headed out to her ranch. Well, when I pulled down her driveway, here come this monster beef red horse running at me in the lot, and he stopped, slid up to the fence, stopped, and looked me right in the eye. And uh, so I knew, I knew that was red. I'm sorry. No, I mean, we could, I could tell, like, how many years ago was this? Oh, geez. I bought him when he was 17, and he lived to 20. I don't remember if it was 21 or 23. But anyway, he slid up that fence, and I rolled my window down. Sorry. <laughs> no apologies needed. I We could tell how much this horse meant to you. Well, I looked at him, and I said, you're going home with me, boy. And... uh <laughs> He just, uh, you know, he continued looking at me, and I went around the corner, and there's five little yearling coats out there running in the pasture, and there was one that was just cherry red, and uh, they took off running, of course, when they see a strange car. Well, this cherry red coat, he could run circles around the mother four, and he'd come by and bite one or kick one, and they'd take off again, and he would just literally lap them. Just while they're running, he just running circles around them. So I pulled up in the driveway and met Miss Clark. We sat on her front porch and drank iced tea. And I made the deal on On the Money Red in about 15 minutes. I mean, she agreed to sell. I agreed to purchase price to buy. Deal's done. Then I said, that little red cherry coat out there in that pasture, I want him too. And she commenced to going, oh, my gosh, that's Speed Money's full brother. Well, I'm new in the industry, and I don't have a clue who Speed Money is. Well, Speed Money's one that carried Sharon Smith to win Calgary and the NFR several times. And just saying, he was a heck of a horse. Yeah. So he kept telling me that. And I said, ma'am, I don't care what his full brother done. I don't care. I want that horse. Well... It took about maybe close to an hour, 
and kept stacking money up till it got to the point where she couldn't take it no more and she sold him to me. And that was designer red. Oh, okay, so, hold on, hold on. We have to go back. So you weren't in horses at all before you bought this ranch? I did. I, I had had horses as a kid, you know, a hunting horse to go to the mountains, but I never owned a horse to for this purpose. No. And then I didn't know. I didn't own a horse when I bought this ranch. And then you buy the ranch. What year did you buy your ranch? I believe it to be 1986 or seven. Okay, so like 30, 32 years ago. Don't judge my. Yeah, maybe it was in. Maybe it was eight then, like 1988. Okay, so 30 some years ago, you buy this ranch, and then somebody talks you into getting into breeding barrel horses. Did you know what barrel racing? really was or did you just appreciate never, good sports i'd never been to a barrel race in my life all i had seen was what was on tv <laughs> so this this is the most danny ray start i i could have ever ex- expected i'm so shocked by this um and so then you go to buy on the money red and designer red as your very first horses Yes, Designer Red wasn't even registered. When we finally made the deal on the front porch, she said, well, he's not even registered yet. I said, well, let's fill out the papers and let's get him registered. So she went, literally went in and got to the application, and I named him Designer Red. And she filled it out, and we sent it in. And a week later, I had a horse hauler. Uh, in Ocala, Florida, and they loaded those two horses, and literally, Marilyn Clark followed the trailer to Oklahoma to see to it that these two horses got the care they needed. Uh, she didn't know who I was, obviously, and she came and stayed in my house for upwards of a week, making sure that Red settled in. So, that I really, this is a funny story, but I put on the money red in the old man's paddock. The old man had lived to be 31 or two, I think. And this stallion, when I turned on the money red in his paddock, he ran to the far corner where the old man always stood. Cause I bought this ranch. The old man was still there. Oh, and wow. I leased this place, but I didn't own a horse. I had goats. And for the next few months, he leased the place, and then we parted ways, and away he went. So anyway, the old man was in this very paddock. So I took Red and turned him loose in there, and he ran to that corner, and he stood there. It was like he took the old man's place right in the very paddock. And from that time on, every time we go to the stud barn, there's, it was a six-tall stud barn. Every stud I led down that alleyway, Red would come down the fence all the way. And if I didn't collect him first, he would get mad at me. And I mean mad. <laughs> Even if you didn't need to collect him that day, you probably need to go ahead and collect him. But there wasn't no days went by that he didn't have a marriage break. So 
Anyway, I took off to our first breeding season, which I was horrified of trying to worry about getting my money back in these barrel horses. For the first year, I stood on the money rent for $1,000, as I recall, and we bred 137 mares. And semen was phenomenal. The stud was phenomenal. And, and then designer red, he's over in another, he's in the stall in the barn growing up. So uh, the next year on the money red, I raised his feet of 1,500. And he bred 203 mares. And his semen was so good that one day I bred 20 mares on the farm and cool ship five in one one collection. I mean, he was just, he was a breeding horse. So I'll never forget this story. Mr. Jerry Wells come to breed on the Money Red, and they had booked four mares to him. And he got there pretty early one morning, Mr. Wells did, and I always admired and respected the man because he's, you know, umpteen-time world champion trainer and horse showing and won the All-American. I mean, he was a true horseman. And I'm always picking their brain, him and Marvin Barnes. And so I said, well, Mr. Wells, I'll see I'll be right back. So I got my AV ready, and I went outside. And, of course, on the money red, he, he's instantly ready. I collected him and was back inside in less than a minute. And Mr. Wells said, what went wrong? I said, nothing, sir. He said, you already collected that horse? I said, yes, sir. And I pulled the cover off and showed him the bottle. And I'll never forget it. He said, son, you don't have a clue what you've got. <laughs> he said, I've been out there as long as two hours trying to collect one of these halter horses. I said, well, you ain't going to do that with On the Money Rick. <laughs> when, he, when he sees that AV, he's instantly ready. <laughs> so I got to tell this joke, though. So... The first year, I knew nothing about AI, okay? I knew nothing about how to breed a mare. I knew nothing. So I hired a local vet. When he came out to collect red the first time, he put on a helmet, and he had on, like, guards and stuff. And I'm going, we're not playing football. And he said, I always wear a helmet because I don't know this horse. I said, okay. Oh, here we go. And I led him over to the Phantom and boom, it was over and done in less than a minute, you know, but he was a very aggressive, good breeder. So, um, you know, and then he goes on and just sires, uh, when we had to put him down, um, he had, uh, become six time world champion barrel sire. He, um, uh, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of babies he's had, but millions of dollars of winners. And um, so I went to breeding school in Colorado State University to learn how to do the AI and cool semen to learn all of it. While I was there, uh, I got a phone call that he wasn't doing well. He was dragging a front leg. So I flew home the next day and I had took him to the vet because I thought he had a sarcoid on his front cornet band. Well, they had tried to cut it off and took a sample, and the vet had called me and said, Danny, he has melanoma cancer. And I said, well, let's fix it. Let's cure him. And he says, we can't. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, it's very, very aggressive. It's already in his lungs. It's already in his lymph nodes. He's beyond helping. I said, well, what have I got? How long can he live? A year, two years? He said, maybe a week or two. Oh, my gosh. I was devastated, devastated. So we brought him home, and I went to the school. They called me. I flew home, and Red couldn't walk on his right front leg. And uh, I, I was just, you know, so being a rookie and greedy, Greedy is the word I use on myself. I tried to collect him again to get some more semen to freeze. And he did jump the phantom for me, but he couldn't stay up there. He just couldn't stay. And he fell down or backed out. And I looked at him. I said, how selfish am I? So um, in between this, I'm going to add this one story. So one day we're collecting old Red. And Red, you know, we'd always have a tease mare available. He hated Palomina mares and gray mares. He refused the tease to those two color mares. He wanted the ugliest, auger-headedest old bay or sorrel mare you had on the farm. And the the uglier they were, the better he liked them. And... So one day we're out there to collect, and there was always three of us. One to handle a stud, me collecting, and another one there in case we ever had trouble. Well, um, he wasn't doing just right. He was having a bad hair day, and so was I. So I got my little buggy whip, and I spanked him on his front legs about twice, and this stud wouldn't even drop. He sold up and turned his head away from me. He wouldn't drop. Mare is just all over him. He wouldn't even pay her no mind. So I told my crew, I said, y'all go back and get in the office and and go to lunch. I'm going to put him back in his room and let him stew a while. Well, usually when you do that, you know, the studs come out and they thought about it. Now they're ready to go. So I put him in the holding room and we went and had lunch and come back. And I go in there and get him. I lead him out. He don't nicker. He won't look at the mare. He don't drop. He won't do nothing. And I go, oh, my gosh. So I told my crew again, I said, you go back in the office a minute. Well, they thought I was going to kill him, you know. (laughs) I took him back in the room, and I started talking to him. And he wouldn't look at me. He turned his head away from me. And I had to literally grab his halter, and I said, Red. I'm sorry. I'll never. I crushed him because, you know, we were buddies. Yeah. And uh, I literally had to grab his halter, pull him around and make him look at me and say, Red, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. Never. And he looked at me. He wouldn't take his eyes off of me. And I said, I mean what I'm saying, Red. Now, we got work to do. Come on, let's go do our job. And when I let him out of the room, he was just like always. He was dropped. He was ready. He attacked the phantom, had him collected in two minutes. And to the day he died, the worst I ever, ever, ever did to him was slap him with my hand one time. Because he was getting a little, little rowdy, you know. But this horse taught me so much. 
and what he didn't teach me, Designer Red did. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, I called the doc, and my mother is a she sews stuff. She had made him a purple robe, like a sheet, but it was purple trimmed in gold tassels. And uh, we played the theme song to Rocky, and um, the vet put him down, and we had prepared everything, and he's buried right there in the very corner of that paddock where he stayed. And uh, that's, that's, I left the halter. I can't remember if I left the halter or not, but that's where he still lays today. So then, you know, along comes Designer Red. I personally, personally broke the horse, put the first rides on him, hauled him, rode him at Sundown Arena at Coleman. I sent him to a very well-known trainer. She had him about 30 days and called me, says, I'm bringing him home. He ain't no good. <laughs> I go, okay. Oh, I got him. And I took him to even a better well-known trainer that's been to the NFR and everywhere else. She kept him 30 or 40 days, said, come get this son of a buck. He'll never be a barrel horse in his life. And I said, ma'am, I don't mean to offend you. But I promise you, he will be a barrel horse. So then I called Miss Terry Alexander in Georgia, Terry and Tony, the finest two people that ever walked the face of the earth. And I told them my story. I said, this horse has so much heart and so much grit and so much try. He's like his daddy. I said, you're going to have your hands full, but you've got to break him. You've got to get him doing it right. So I do it from to Georgia, took him, delivered him to him, and Terry and Tony Alexander made Designer Red. They rode him two times a day. They got him where this, uh, well, I mean, everybody knows his story. Oh, so I never, ever ran the horse that I wasn't standing in the alleyway with this horse uh, before he made his run. And he was, you know, he was fast. I mean, he's fast as a barrel horse I've ever had, and I've had a bunch of them. So uh, we'd run him at Ardmore one day, and my ex-wife, my wife at the time, had just set the fastest time on a Sticks and Stones filly I'd bought for her. And she was winning Ardmore pretty handily. And she'd come riding out of the arena and said, well, get you some of that big boy and I looked at her and I said okay so Alana James was riding for me she rode him most of the time me and Alana had a great relationship she said we always talk before the run and Ardmore can be a little tricky because it's pretty straight to the barrel with a narrow alley and she said well what do you want me to do with him and I said Alana I want you to cock this son of a buck from back there at that shed row and when you come by me, I hope you blow my hat off. She said, what if he don't turn the first barrel? I said, he'll hit the wall on the far end of the arena. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, okay, I'm going to do what you say. And she come by me so fast. And he sat and turned that first barrel. The crowd went crazy. 
long story short, he ran one of the fastest times I've ever heard of in Ardmore, and I outrun my wife by two more tenths. <laughs> and she was fairly peed at me, and I said, well, let me let, teach you a lesson here. You never challenge me and my horse because I will beat you. I mean, this horse got too much heart. Of course, we went on and we uh, run him. He qualified for the AQHA World. And uh, after we qualified, we brought him home. I wouldn't stay up there. And that morning, we got up to go back and run for the finals. Uh, my wife at the time told me, Darla, she said, uh, if you're going to be in my win picture tonight, you better wear something red, white, and blue. Because she dressed him up with red and blue polos and had a you know blanket to match and all that. So uh, I did, and she went in there and blew everybody away by two tenths, including rare Fred, who had won the AQHA World like four or five times in a row. So uh, now we got a world champion. And it wasn't long after that, we were running him, and uh, we were running in our arena, and the Steinhoffs were here with Dollar Red Rooster and Hot Shot and Designer Red. And those three horses had a shootout, let me tell you. And uh, I ran him on Saturday in my arena. On Sunday, uh, I just learned Dollar Red Rooster, well, not at my arena, but Dollar Red Rooster broke his hock. And so I guess he wasn't there, it was just Hot Shot. And they had to put him down. So I'm thinking of all this that night. So it come our turn to run on Sunday, and I led him in the arena and made the announcement that he was officially done as a barrel horse. I wasn't running him no more. He was retired to stud while he was sound and healthy. Wow. So I made that decision right there in our barrel race, and I put him in stud. And, oh, I wanted to bring him out of retirement so many times when the purses got crazier and bigger because – they hadn't seen the likes of him. He could he could lay one down now. So uh, anyway, and then here come the Brazilians later on, and they offered so much money for this horse. It was incredible, and at the time, it was a lot of money. And uh, I sold them to him with agreement that I had all the frozen semen rights in the United States on him. They could never breed nothing in the U.S. without going through me. And they have honored that deal all the way through. And then, of course, he died this past year at 20, I can't remember, 23 years old, I believe. And he sired, I don't know how many champions over in Brazil. But we still have frozen semen with him. Uh, we still breeding some mares. We just had a designer red, ran second in that qual not the qualifier but the first round of the american yep and and ran the second fastest time she's supposed to run today i guess in the performance at fort worth and um we're excited about that and uh designer red was he, he would have been better than on the money red as a sire had i kept him with the mare power i had so um Anyway, I don't remember if I even told you. Did I tell you about sticks and stones? And no, no, fill, fill us okay. in. So after designer red or somewhere in that time, 
I went and bought a horse named Shoot Yeah. He was an own son of Easy Jet. He had just ran the fastest qualifying time or third fastest in the All-American. Long story short, they, they didn't run him back. He was hurt. I went and bought him, brought him home. I was in partners with Showmaker Farm in Tennessee with him. I think I kept him one season, and they decided they wanted to buy me out. I sold out my half. They took him to Tennessee, and he had quite a good career there. So then I went back and got Sticks and Stones. Well, Sticks and Stones, he was an older horse, but, boy, this was an iron horse. He had legs as big around as a fifth post and more heart than you can even. I mean, I love the big hearts in these horses. And uh, so I went to get him in Odessa. And uh, not Odessa, I'm sorry. Out in, um, oh, heck, about by Plainview. So I went to get him. And the foreman told me, said, Danny, you'd be lucky to breed 20 mares for this horse because his semen ain't very good. I go, what? Yeah, I bought him anyway. I brought him home, and we went to jump him, and it took four jumps to get him collected, and his semen wasn't very strong. Well, usually when a horse jumps four times, or something wrong. I mean, something's wrong. So I went to looking. Well, I, found, I opened his mouth, and he had a molar growing up in his skull in the top part of his head. And I called the tooth guy, and he came down, and it was so big that we had to take three-foot bolt cutters to cut it out. And I still have that tooth today. It's over two and a half inches long that we cut up. Well, what it was, he was in constant pain because that tooth is growing literally up in his head. So we cut it off, worked his teeth. I gave him some antibiotics, and 30 days later, his semen count had doubled. Wow. And we bred 48 mares with him the first year, settled 48 mares. So, you know, I put him in, I put him in on the Money Reds paddock in the same one. He goes running down there, looks at the grave on the Money Red, and, you know, these horses talk. They have a language, you know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. The problem is, is people won't listen. These horses will tell you everything about them. They'll tell you when they're hurt. They'll tell you when they're sore. They'll tell you when they feel good. The problem is, is we, we as people don't stop and listen to them and look at their eye. Their eye tells you everything about a horse. Everything tells you pain, tells you hurt, and it tells you they're happy. It'll tell you. You got to read the eye. You got to look at them and listen to them talk to you. I know that sounds corny, but I've owned enough studs in my career. I know how to talk to a stud. So uh, anyway, Sticks and Stones lived in that paddock, and we bred him and bred a lot of lot more champions with him. And then at the age of twenty eight. Um, he ran up, uh, he, he couldn't get up one morning in his stall. We'd been helping him up, but he was so arthritic. His ankles were as big around as a cantaloupe. Uh, so much pain, it was unbelievable. So um, I, I had to put him down. And we put him down, I believe he was 28. Uh, I had froze semen on him. I still got it on him. I buried him next on the money red. And uh, so they're both right in front of my house, right at the corner of the paddock. 
Well, then, uh, you know, after sticks and stones, I moved uh, Designer Red into that paddock. And he ran straight to the same corner, sit out there and looked at those two graves. And I, I promise you, he's talking to them two horses. And I know he told old Money Red, his daddy he said, I will do all I can to replace you, Pops. And, and he did. You know, he was just a prolific individual. Most beautiful, fastest horse I've ever owned. And uh, I raced him on the track. A lot of people didn't know that. And <laughs> we worked him down at the trainer's house one day when they was getting ready to go to Rivington Park. And he outworked them horse, horse as far as you could throw a rock. And all these people going, what the heck is that? And the trainer said, ah, it's just a little old barrel horse from up here in the country. <laughs> so then... Then we took him to Remington Park, and I had him in a paturity there. Well, he's going off as one of the favorites, and there were some big-name horses in that race and some big-name trainers. I won't mention them. But he's in the gates. I think he's in the 4-0. He is ready to rock. They busted them gates, and that header held the bridle on designer red, and the other horses all left. Uh, he finally turned him loose after they were all gone and we still photoed for the finish and did get beat a whisker, but he spotted them two and a half lengths. And, uh, so <laughs> when that happened, I'm sitting there watching it and I go to jump the infield fence. And my <laughs> said, uh, what are you going to do, Danny? I said, I'm headed to the starting gates. He said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to give up whooping to somebody he said man said they'll blackball us and we won't never be able to run again i said well i tell you what buddy i'll whoop my five you'll whoop your five <laughs> <laughs> he said we can't do that we can't literally held designer red in the gates so we went on and went to the speed horse in tulsa this horse designer red breaks so hard it was unreal they popped the gates. He broke so hard, the dirt blew out, broke out from under him. He fell plumb to his chin, and luckily the jockeys stayed on, and he got up. And the first step, I seen him do it. He reached that first front leg, and he went to coming with it, and something happened. And I knew what, I mean, I knew he hurt himself, but he still qualified for the speed horse and done spotted him again. So, uh, Two days later, he couldn't walk. He couldn't even put weight on his front foot. And I said, what the heck? And the trainer says, I don't know. You got to take him somewhere. He's, he's hurt. Well, I took him to Oak Ridge up at Edmond. We went to looking, and he had chipped his coffin joint inside his foot, and there was a piece of bone the size of a dime floating around in there. And I said, what are we going to do? He says, damn, I'm going to drill a hole in his foot, in his hoof, and I'm going in there, and I'm going to fish that piece out. I said, can you do it, Doc? He said, oh, absolutely. And Dr. Hague, he's, he, I, I mean, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Lord and God, but this guy walks on water, too. He's incredible vet. So he went in and pulled that chip out of his coffin joint, now I got a big old quarter-sized hole in the very top of his foot right underneath the coronet band. He says, you'll be down a minimum of six months. And I go, okay. 
Well, I did a little research and study, and I went to reading about Farrier's formula. So I went to pouring that Farrier's formula to him, and we changed his bandage every day. Three months later, I had that hole grow plumb down nearly to the shoe. So I took him back to vet, and he said, shoot, he's good to run. Just put a bandage on him where he don't get stuff in the hole. I said, you got it. And we started running him that way. And uh, <laughs> he he went right back. He, he had run better hurt than he did sound. So we're headed to Hattiesburg, Mississippi one time. Alana's with me, going with us. And I went to, got him on the trailer. And this trailer was about to turn over. I mean, literally, he had the wheels rocking on each side. And I got aggravated at him. I went in there and hollered at him. And, and designer red was claustrophobic. If you put him in a one stall in a slant, he couldn't stand it. He, he literally could not stand it. He stepped on his coronet band. My horseshoe happened to be there, and we unloaded him. He put a compression bandage on his, on his coronet band. I said, what are we going to do now? He said, you load that sucker back up and go run him. I said, okay. So I get him two stalls in the front of the trailer, and we go to Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Lana's on him. She said, well, what do you want me to do? And I mean, out in the warm-up pen, he's three-legged. He's just, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, Pops, I can't do it. I said, you get your butt up in there and do your job. And, <laughs> and that sucker, and he set a new arena record. He's crazy how fast this horse was. So he come out of the pen, and for the first minute or two, you know, he's fine. Then he remembers, oh, I'm hurt, Pops. You got to, oh, I'm hurt. You got to wrap me. I took him back, took care of him. His horse, he, he was he was a person to me, you know. He's like a, he's almost like a brother. So okay. you you have these studs, and then I mean, at one point I know, didn't you have like you grew your program to like four hundred some horses? At one time, I had four hundred head of horses on the rack. So I mean, what tell tell us about how like you grew it? And I know you've had more studs, and we'll talk about them, but like. What mares did you buy to match with, you know, designer red and on the money red? And I mean, how did you like grow Victory Farms from not knowing anything about barrel racing to 400 head of horses? Well, you know, I, I study, I don't sleep a lot. And I study pedigrees five generations deep. And I look at records and I look at what kind of mares were producing winners. And try to how they crossed back and forth. And then I went after those certain lineages. I tried to buy every Jet of Honor, every Bugs Alive in 75, Truckle Feature mares. I bought those old good mares and bring them back in. And I was notorious for going to the Heritage and buying older mares that people couldn't get in fold no more. And they wouldn't tell you that, but when you look at their produce record, they've missed two or three years in a row. And I'd bring them horses home, and I knew how to clean them up in the breeding barn. So we'd clean them up, and I'd get babies out of them that very year or the next year, you know, and and raise some good ones. I mean, some good ones. So uh, I, I I I first thought the value was in numbers, and I was talking to an old old gentleman, a horse trader, one day, and I said, "Sir." what do you do? How do you buy your mare? What should I do? He said, son, if you find a mare that's better than one you got at home, 
you buy that mare. Don't care what it costs, you buy her. I said, okay. He said, when you get home with that mare, you go get two mares off the bottom of your farm and get rid of them. And before long, you've got half as many mares and they're twice as good. And I took that philosophy to heart. And so that's what I went to doing, buying, stepping up and buying better mares and, you know, following sales and going. And then, <laughs> I don't know if I can say this, but I asked another old gentleman horse trader, I said, sir, how do you know which one of these horses to buy? He said, son, you look at them like you look at your women. And I looked at him, I said, I uh, don't understand. He said, if they've got a pretty head and a pretty butt, you can always swap them. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I, I took that to heart, too, because everybody likes pretty, you know. So to, to find mares to match your studs was a challenge, you know, because On the Money Red had been bred. 75% of his mares were thoroughbreds because they'd run them down the track. Mm-hmm. And I changed that, and I went to putting them pretty mares under him. And then I went to putting a little, just a slight dip, a cutting mare in them. If you could find one, it wasn't a little chicken bone horse. And um, there we came with uh, uh, some really good barrel horses, you know. And Designer Red, I didn't find very much that didn't work on him. He, he, he just... You didn't want to breed a hot mare thing, and there's certain lineages that are just hot. I don't care what they say. Mm-hmm. Some lineage stay away from. But he loved them good medium, them good race mares that were pretty. Uh, he'd, he'd, he'd make a baby now, you know. And uh, he liked the old stuff, the old uh, – I bought a I bought a mare from Johnny Barney. I'll never forget, get 1500 for her. And she's the one that sired BF um, – oh, God, what's his name – he, uh, I think of it in a minute. It's one of the best ones he ever sired. And I had him as a two-year-old, and I called one of the well-known women trainers to come and ride him. I said, this is a winner. She came and rode him, got off of him, told her buddy, said, he rides like a Clydesdale. And I said, what? And I said, well, that's, I'm sorry, but you missed this one. Well, then I went on, I was putting a sail on at Fort Smith, and I put him in the sail. And um, I stopped the sale, and so it's still recorded to this day. I said, you people need to stop and look at this horse. I'm telling y'all, this is a winner. Now, if you don't want to buy him, that's your prerogative. Well, they think I'm just trying to sell my horses, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I, I sold him $3,700. And uh, God, Angela Ganner bought this horse. Uh, what was his name? Great big horse. Talmadge Green then bought him and won every world title and won, won a, uh, NBHA world. And, I mean, he won everything. He won everything. I'll think his name in a minute. But um, anyway, he went on and made a heck of a barrel horse. So the lighter red was is easier to breed to than on the money red as far as picking the mares, you know? Mm-hmm. So then at 400 head and horse prices was not what they are today. I had to literally give away, um, a lot of good horses to get them in the pen, like this $3,700 coat. Mm-hmm. And I think 
M's 200 and, I don't know, 250,000 or something. I can't believe I can't think of his name. But uh, that's that's the way you had to do it back then, you know. So, uh, and then, I, you know, here come all these all new breeders coming in, and they're just blowing and going and having big dances and free-for-alls and buy, breed my stud. And, you know, it got tough. It was tough back in the early 2000s. Um, but, you know, I didn't have no supplemental income. I had no other way to make money but to breed and raise and train and sell horses. So it made me, it's a hard game. I mean, it is a hard game. Uh, but I enjoyed it. big thank you to Danny Ray for sitting down and telling us some of his incredible stories. It's guests like this one that remind us that this is not just a sport or a hobby. Thank you to Farnham, the makers of Horseshoe or Secret Hoof Supplement. Every horse owner knows the saying, no hoof, no horse. So be sure to check out Farnham today to help you with your horse hoof needs. Don't forget to check out The Money Barrel on Patreon where you can gain access to extended episodes with season two guests like Danny Ray and other bonus content for $5, the cost of a single exhibition a month. All right, everyone, run fast, be safe. We'll see you soon.